Hey, as we continue in the worship service, I'd like to call our local advisory team nominees uh, to the stage. And today, uh, just we get to have a simple vote of confirmation, otherwise known as a, ver a vote of affirmation, on our local advisory team. So today is local advisory team confirmation. I want to tell you, if you're visiting this morning, this is a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, but for those that are regular attenders, members of Bethany Community Church, how Bethany Community Church is structured is one church in six locations with one governing council that's made up of people from all six locations, and they meet and give governance to us as a church. We share one budget, one council, uh, international partners, and we partner then in uh, localized ministry in six different locations. In each of those locations, of which Bethany North is one, there's a local advisory team that meets to plan uh, and strategize and come up with a um, focus of ministry for the year ahead, be praying for staff, to be listening to the congregants. It's really a level of congregational involvement in everything we do. And so today on stage, you'll see represented here, Eric Armbruster, Cameron McClurg is not here, Lisa Nelson, Amy Beth Nolte, Pam Barney, Paul Craig, Nathan Hawkins, Ramona W., uh, and then of the staff, Scott, Anna, Ruth, and Allie, you got this in your bulletin when you came. Today you get the opportunity to vote a vote of affirmation, a vote of confirmation. So you can look down and check all the names. If you leave my name unchecked, we're going to have issues. But this is really your chance. This is just in the bylaws that the, uh, each congregation gets to vote a vote of affirmation. Some of these votes are kind of silly, right? Like, how am I voting? For, like, how were these people picked? Well, there was a nominating committee of people that have served in this role in the past that were praying, meeting uh, over several months around the next wave of local leaders. And we are blessed and pleased to welcome this new class of leaders that make a two to three year commitment to advise the church. And as you know, many of us, we feel busy, right? And so for these men and women, they said, yes, I can serve the church in this season. And they all have different passions that they really kind of feel like they're really passionate about, but the, what unites them is they have a hunger to see Christ uh, proclaimed in this local body, Bethany Community Church North. They meet monthly, they're praying, they're listening. I wanted you to see them and, so, and to see their names so that you can know, gosh, you know, I, I dream about this church that we might someday do blank, or I wish we could do more of blank. Who do we talk to? You can always talk to the staff. But we hope you're also talking to the local advisory team. They are the congregational representatives to advise as we move forward. And we're in the midst of a really exciting next step of growth and everything that God wants to do in us. So this is your local advisory team. You can sometime in the next 40 minutes, you can look at these names and vote a vote of affirmation. And then if you would, just leave these uh, votes, these ballots uh, on the tables as you depart. Clearly, it's not going to be very suspenseful. We're going to vote them in today, uh, but would love you to join us in voting them in, them in. And I would also, if you just look at these men and women, uh, would you pray for them? And would you join me in being grateful for how they're serving the church? Let's give them a big round of applause. So thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thankful for you. Excited for everything we're going to do together. Uh, and now, as we take a turn towards our teaching moment, uh, I would invite you to open the book of Joel. We're not going to judge you if you need to look at your table of contents. Uh, the book of Joel, one of the 12 minor prophets you'll find at the end of your Old Testament. The book of Joel, just three chapters long. We're in our second week of our summer series, which is called Summer Shorts. Short books or small books, big questions. 
Because all of these books that we kind of skip over during other teaching cycles have really important questions for us to engage as a church. Our scripture this morning comes from Joel 2, verse 22 through 28. I will read that now and then we'll begin. Chapter 2, uh, verse 22 of Joel. Do not be afraid, you wild animals, for the pastures in the wilderness are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit, the fig tree and the vineyard their riches. Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locusts, the young locusts, the other locusts, and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you're full. And you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. Verse 28, and afterward I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Beautiful. This is God's word for us, the people of God. Let me pray and we'll begin. Holy Lord God, thank you for these moments ahead. We pray that you would take this little book and open it up to us today. So, Father, you would uh, reveal to us pieces of our own journey that you want to have us take a deeper look at, and that ultimately that we would be encouraged through the book of Joel on the power of repentance, confession, and restoration that's found really, Lord, in in a life in abiding in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Summer shorts, Joel, your title this morning is simply this, Nothing is Wasted. As we promised in the bulletin cover that these are the small books with big questions. I want to give you the question first, so you're looking for an answer in the next 30-odd minutes. Our question today is this. How does God deal with seasons of loss and wandering and hopelessness in our lives? How does God deal with, with that? How does he redeem wasted time? How does God redeem wasted time in our journeys? Uh, to illustrate that, I'll just tell you, the year was 1995. I um, went from being a preseason All-American to a bench warmer for the Whitworth University football team. Do you know what the difference between preseason and postseason All-American is? It's just a few letters. It's very big deal. One is what you might do. The other is what you have done. So I was a preseason All-American in 1995 only to lose my job on the team and be off the team by November. I was dating then who I thought was the love of my life, only to be dumped in a period of isolation and loneliness and to be sent into a period of being single when I didn't anticipate it. I was having insecurity in my major. I was living into too much freedom of being 21 and turning too much to alcohol to cope some of these other places of gaps. And my life started feeling really hopeless. And really, really, I was questioning because I had this plan for my life and, and things just started going off the rail. Things felt really fruitless. And I was, I was confused because I was following Jesus. I was asking Jesus to bless my ways. And things were not turning out as I had hoped. Pre-season All-American to not even on the team. And when I got back from that, uh, well, there was, this, there was this morning which really illustrates just this season of fruitlessness for me. 
I, I, I blew through my alarm. Uh, I was up too late doing things that were not healthy to my pursuit of Jesus. Uh, the football bus was supposed to leave at, say, 7 a.m. They had across the state. You have to be on the bus or the bus leaves without you. I sleep through my alarm, wake up, just run to my truck. I look, you know, disheveled. I drive a million miles an hour, pull up in front of Graves Gym. The bus with the entire team is, is driving away. I try to flag it down. It doesn't stop. And literally, like all of the hopes, I mean, this is, you know, six weeks in, it's pretty clear the preseason expectations are not living into the reality of this season for me. And I had to, you know, kind of beg and plead with the trainers and ride in a van, not even with my team. And that illustrated for me that I felt like in a season where I didn't even make the bus, hopeless, fruitless. I got back to Spokane after that road trip, and I drove up to what was a sacred space to me at the time, up on Five Mile Hill, and I drove up, and I, and I leaned against the barbed wire fence as the sun was setting over the Spokane Valley beyond, and I'm asking these questions. God, what are you doing in a season that feels especially fruitless? I thought what you were going to give me was an anointing and a blessing. How can pursuing God feel so messy in real life? And God, how will you redeem what feels like a really wasted season of my life into this sport, into this relationship, into this major? What's my story? What's yours? Every one of us in the room, we encounter these seasons that feel fruitless, that feel questioning, that we're wondering what God is doing. As we turn towards the book of Joel, there's this, there's this question of what Joel wants to reveal in the fruitlessness and how God encourages us to turn towards the life of him, even in the midst of fruitless times. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the book of Joel, because if you're like me until this week and not spent a lot of time studying it, but the book of Joel is interesting. Joel's one of 12 minor prophets. There's 16 prophets in all. His name is only spoken once in all of the Old Testament. It's right here in Joel 1, the word of the Lord that came to Joel. But once in the New Testament. Now, if you remember in Acts 2, those of you who have been, you know, kind of following Jesus for a while, Acts 2, the first big missionary movement of the church, Peter preaches in Jerusalem and he quotes Joel. And in Acts 2, he, he's preaching the word of God. He preaches that little bit about old men will see visions and young men will dream dreams. And it says that the word of God, the spirit of God, cut people to the, to the core. And then they ask Peter in Acts 2, they say, what shall we do? The words of Joel were working on people's lives. And what, what Peter says, repent. That the best way to get the more fruitful life is, is repent, is returning to God. We often rush to fruit. We rush to solutions. We rush to God wanting to anoint this relationship. It was the wrong person. I didn't know that then. I understand it now. It was the wrong person. It was the wrong team. And that next season, not being a football player, allowed me to do so many different things at university. We don't know oftentimes in the moment what God is doing. But Peter says, repent and return. And in Acts 2, it says 3,000 people came to faith that day. The first big evangelistic movement in Acts started with the words of Joel. That's interesting, right? So Joel here, it's a, it's a word of prophecy where... Uh, talking about you know historically what's happening is the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel are split northern kingdom has already fallen to the Assyrians and the southern kingdom Joel is warning to return to God there's a couple of different afflictions that happen in the book there's a a literal 
plague of locusts that's infecting them and destroying their land and their crops. They're literally barren. They're literally hungry. For an agrarian society, they're literally worried about even being able to survive. And in the midst of this, the, the drumbeat of the Assyrian war machine is, is like, you know, literally at their border. So they're, they're worried about their sustenance. They're worried about their future. It feels fruitless. And, and Joel's job as the prophet was to warn the southern kingdom that due to their sin, they were on their way to destruction. So let me ask this question again. God, how do you deal with seasons of loss and wandering and hopelessness? God, how might you redeem wasted time? Our big idea today, friends, is this, that that God will use the prophets like Joel. God uses prophets to help people turn towards God. And the prophets do this by calling people to pay attention to their lives and then make changes from the inside out to align their lives with God's. And this results in a promise that God will redeem all things for his glory. That God will redeem all things for his glory. God doesn't give us all easy things, but God redeems all things for his glory. Let's look at the first point in your outline to pay attention from Joel to your life. Pay attention to your life. Look at Joel 1, verse 2. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Joel begins by saying, hey, take a look at what's going on in your life, in your actual life. Take stock. Take a survey. See what's going on. How are things working out for you? And there's a difference here between hearing and really listening. There's also a difference between looking and really seeing. That's a theme in Acts over and over again. This like look and really see. There's a ministry of Jesus. He actually saw people. And everyone married in the room is kind of elbowing the person they're with because they're like, yeah, there's a difference between, between looking and really seeing, between hearing and really listening. We can be with people, married, roommates, doesn't matter. We can be with people and feel invisible in ways. And Joel says here, pay attention to your life. Because that's what the prophet's role was, was to get people to examine their life. Now, about prophecy, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for strengthening, encouraging, and support. And so prophecy can often feel like warning about God's judgment, but it's also meant to be encouragement, to draw into the best life in pursuing Jesus. And so when we read some of these minor prophets from our modern construct, it's like, man, there's a lot of destruction, there's a lot of emptiness, you know, God seems like he's in the driver's seat of some of these things. It can feel really judgmental. But the word of the prophet is meant to drive people to deeper engagement with God. So the role of the prophet was, was to comfort people, that God sees them, he hears them, and God is moving towards them. Now, prophecy in general in the Old Testament, there's 16 books of prophecy, including Isaiah, Isaiah to Malachi. And they're roughly all lived within about four or 500 years, from 800 to about 400 B.C. Joel is not clear exactly when it's written, but it seems to be drawing on resources of the Assyrian Empire, warning. And so all of Joel 1 and part of Joel 2 is a warning of, of looking at their lives, Israel, and notice what is missing We can learn a lot about our faith and about our life when we realize what is missing. Because when you pay attention to what's missing, you start to hunger for what's more. And I can't stress that enough, friends. It's it's, we can learn when we pay attention to what's missing. God, it feels like you're missing. 
I used to read the Bible and this would happen. I used to worship or, or listen to messages or, you know, God, there was that old hunger that feels like it's dried up. When we pay attention to the longing, we start to hunger for more of what's missing. It's true in our earthly relationships too. Some of you are like, oh, in this season of dating, you know, I had hoped to maybe meet someone that could be like this or that, but there's this season where things just feel like they're drying up. I talk to people all the time in seasons where marriage feels like that. You know, we started out like this, or we've had seasons like this, but this is a season of, of fruitlessness, of barrenness. And if we pay attention to what's missing, we have hope to fulfill in the scriptures a, a more fulfillment in God himself, and that will impact our earthly relationships. Notice what Joel calls them to notice in Joel 1, verse 4 and 5 and 6. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. And the, what the great locusts have left, the young, I mean, they're being wiped out by locusts. There's all these different types of locusts. Who knew, right? Verse 5, wake up, you drunkards and wheat. Wail, you drinkers of wine. There's literally no grapes on the vine. There is no new wine. Now, wine is, I mean, we've talked about it at length because in the last two series ago, talking about Jesus and fruitfulness, but all throughout the scriptures, wine is a picture of, of fruitfulness. It's a, it's, a, it's a picture of health. It's a picture of like Jesus says in John 15, that I am the vine, you are the branches. We're called to abide and our life is meant to be fruitful. But now the nation of Israel, are literally an agrarian society, the vines are empty. Verse 6, the nations invaded the land, a mighty army without number. It has the teeth of a lion and the fangs of the lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. So as they're looking around, there's a, there's a metaphorical army and these locusts and this drought that's happening. And there's a literal army that's invaded already northern Israel. And there's, they're looking around and it looks hopeless. It looks barren. It looks like an orchard with no fruit. And friends, the reality is that things lose their purpose and functionality when they depart from their source of fruitfulness. This happens all the time with earthly relationships of what got us here was healthy conversation. What got us here was pursuing intimacy together. What got us here was praying more together or reading our scriptures. But then life sets in and life can feel just more barren and fruitless. And there's not as much intimacy as I would have hoped. So when we get cut off from our functionality of life with God, we start to see the impact of these fruitless journeys. And the principle is clear that fruitfulness is a byproduct of abiding, which is intimacy with Christ, which is responding to revelation of Christ, which is confession, which is you know, companionship. Like we're called to abide and that we would have intimacy with God, that that would lead to others. We're called, friends, to be paying attention to our lives. I mean, all throughout Joel 1 and 2, there's this warning that as they're looking around at what's, what's laid waste around them, they're called to return to the Lord. And as paying attention to what they're longing for will lead them to returning more towards fruitfulness. Now, last week, if you were here in the first service, many of you were not, but we had a technical uh, issue. We were streaming a video where Pastor Richard and myself preached via video. I was sitting right front in the first service, and it's like, worst nightmare. I'm up there on the video teaching to myself. I'm like, this is great, because I don't even know what I'm about to say, because we had recorded a few days before, and then the video crashes. I'm like, oh, no. Get the microphone, stand up here, and everyone's looking at me like, all right, what does he do now? And what I did now was kind of make a commentary in the book of Jonah, which we talked about last week. 
And in Jonah, Jonah's got this really angry heart because God didn't show up in the way that he thought he was going to show up. And I told the church that God was convicting me of some anger that I need to deal with, with my greater circle of people that I run with. God was convicting me that there's some stuff that I was kind of blocking out, this anger. And it's like this, this question of like, if you could give an emoji to your heart this morning, what would your emoji be? Well, this is the emoji that God's been convicting me of recently. Kind of looks like me, doesn't it? There's some, there's some stuff. And if we pay attention to our life, God will move. Far too often, Christian people I know, they start tuning out from their life instead of tuning in. And they disengage from questions in society, in relationship. God's calling us to tune in. So I'm up here just trying to fill dead air, talking about this anger thing. Pretty sure I was oversharing, which you guys know I'm a serial overshare, and that's okay. And then I started to hear these reports through the week. You know, when the video shut down, and Scott, you started to talk about anger, God showed up. Because for the first time in a while, I felt permission that I can be angry. Or I can look at my life and figure out what's missing. And so often we'll turn to unhealthy pursuits. I'm feeling lonely, so we turn to some sort of hookup culture. Or I'm looking for, for, for more satisfaction, and I turn to drugs or alcohol. Or I'm wanting more intimacy with somebody in my house or with my family of origin. And I turn instead to anger and disengagement. Like So often we're scared of the hungers. Tune in. Pay attention to your life. Because God wants to meet you there. He's speaking to the nation of Israel here through the prophet Joel. He's saying, pay attention to what looks fruitless. Because I want to do something in your time to bring the fruit back. To bring the fruit back. To let the anger go. To let the addictions go. To take the unhealthy pursuits. We don't need that. Jesus says, pay attention here. Joel does. Pay attention. To get us to the second part, the change will happen from the inside out. The change in the book of Joel happens from the inside out. Look at Joel 2. And for the first point of your outline under this change happens from the inside out is that we're called to rend our hearts and not our garments. Now we don't use, many of us don't use in conversational English this word rend. It's a powerful word to say make available. Like make available your heart before your garments. That's a really powerful statement that comes out of Joel 2 verse 12 through 17. Look at verse 2, 12. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. And this is why I hope you bring your Bibles to church because if God is speaking to you this morning, I want you to circle that or draw an arrow or star. Like This is why paper Bibles matter. They become landmarks for us, Ebenezer's of what God is teaching us. I've never seen this verse before this week. It's amazing. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sin and calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. Grain offerings, drink offerings for the Lord your God. I'm, and I'll, I'll pause here. Because as you guys know, like I get a little excited about things. But this verse 14 is incredible. Because the who knows question mark is one of the most truthful statements in this entire book. If you're in the midst today of a health crisis, you're like, who knows how it's going to end? If you're in the midst of an emotional crisis, you're, you might be asking this morning, who knows how it's going to end? 
If you're feeling a little bit fruitless in your pursuit of Jesus, you're not even sure where you're at this morning. It's who knows question mark. That's really truthful. And the scriptures don't whitewash anything and say that you'll always be fruitful. It'll always be easy. Marriage will always be wonderful. Your children will always obey you. Your parents will always have a wonderful pursuit of God and you, and it's going to be easy. It's not here. No, we, we try as we might. It's not here in the scriptures. What the scriptures say is in the midst of fruitless times, there's a bit of mystery. Who knows how God will end the story? It will end. And it will make sense in time. And if you're like me where you bear scars because babies die and people don't show up the way you needed them to show up and you're dealing with stuff in your life, this who knows is tremendously powerful because life is a mystery. But God is good and he'll show up. And in the midst of the fruitlessness, verse 15 continues, blow a trumpet in Zion, declare a fast, call an assembly, Throw a party for God, it says. Are you kidding me? Like the locusts are still like outside. How do we throw this party? The Assyrian army, are you kidding me? There's racism in America. Throw a party for God? I don't even know. Who knows what's going to happen with, this, with, with the person I'm dating or with my parents? or Who knows? In the midst of the fruitlessness, throw the God party. Saying God's going to show up. And I'm going to be the first to proclaim it. Because when God shows up in my situation in one day, one week, one year, it will be a testimony that he moves. Is your faith still asking big questions? Do you have the audacity to ask God to move? And I've got this, I've got this prayer journal where I fill it with pages where I'm audacious enough to ask God to show up. Because people tell me, like, I don't know what's going to happen in my marriage, my kid, my sickness. And I just say, I can't do anything other than pray for you. But you know what gets filled up in, the, in these pages? Is God moves. He shows up. So what are you asking God to do in your life? Where do you need him to show up? And how, what is the marker for you that he has showed up? Rend your hearts and not your garments. We are called to, to proclaim that God will do something from the inside out. Now, a lot of us go from the outside in. We want to throw the God party once we're in the relationship. We'll throw the God party once, you know, this thing or that thing. Like, we have all these stipulations. The scriptures call us to trust in the middle and proclaim that God will be good even when we don't know the end of the story. And it will happen from the inside out. This reminds us of Jesus' words in Mark 7, that nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. We need to be inside out people. This is our problem so often with our New Year's resolutions. It's July, people. How are we doing with the New Year's resolutions? Are you like me? Can you not even remember your resolutions? Or if you can recall them, it's like, oh, man. And I'm, there's probably a few, hey, few success stories. All right, amen. We celebrate with you. The rest of us like, oh, because we snap to behavior. We snap to fruit. We snap to change. But real change has to happen from the outside in. And that happens here, Joel says, in this word repentance and confession. Now, in the, in the Old Testament, there's no actual Hebrew word for repentance. No, there's a, there's a Greek word, metanoia, which is taken from a Hebrew word, shuv. Which in Hebrew, shuv means literally to return. So when we shuv to God, it's 
nothing crazy, but just saying, God, I'm, I'm returning to you. Even in the midst of fruitless times. Even in places where I've blown it. Even when I didn't show up. Even when I don't know, who knows how the story ends. I'm going to return to you. And I will confess my sin. And I'm going to leave those other coping mechanisms behind. And I will return. Now in Joel, this call to return, it's an invitation. It's not a threat. So often we're like, oh, you should repent. Yeah, it's like, okay, that sounds like you're telling me that God's like waiting to smite me or something. No, it's an invitation. Like return to God. Repent. Those of you in broken human relationships, maybe God is asking this morning to return and to repent and say sorry for parts that you owned and things that went off the rails. Return. And second, from the inside out, second, don't let transformation stop at only the heart level. So this I want to look at a few verses of Joel 1, verse 13, 15. We're called to start with the heart and work out, but don't make it merely internal. Verse 13 of chapter 1, God speaks to the prophet Joel to the nation of Israel. This, this word about real change does start to look different on the outside. Verse 13, put on sackcloth, ye priests, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. For the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. And a, and a sackcloth is literally like a burlap sack. Think of like a big old school potato sack or onion sack. And the priests would literally take off their priestly robes, which had to look a certain way. And they were left in the Holy of Holies. They couldn't even go out and talk to people in their priestly garb. And God says, no, I'm done with that. Things have been rough. You feel fruitless. Put on a different costume. And, and may your outside match your inside and say, I want to do life differently. If I'm feeling fruitless, if I'm feeling barren, if I'm feeling like, man, there's, there's stuff that I've been using to cope, but I want my life to feel fruitful. I want intimacy with God. I want healthy relationships with others. My, the, the stuff we wear matters. And we're called to put on the sackcloth and say sorry and lament and wail that our actions would reveal our hearts. So when you see a problem, lean on your faith and change your pursuits. Now, that's very easy to say. It's difficult to do. I got the great opportunity, uh, all the lead pastors, we went away uh, with Pastor Richard for four days a week ago to plan the year ahead. And we're walking around Leavenworth before we headed to this cabin. And I had this question for Richard. Because if you're around Richard at all, he's my, been my pastor for 15 years. He's always talking about the indwelling power of Christ. And, and I was asking this question. Like, what do we do with a sanctification journey saying that we're trying to be more and more and more like Jesus, and yet this reality that when we say yes to Jesus, our hearts are fully formed. We have the full power availability of the Holy Spirit. What do you do with that? But you said, it's simple. No, Christ in me, the hope of glory, Colossians 1. And we'll spend the rest of our life being sanctified to release the power of the Spirit into our daily lives. So the process of sanctification isn't the process of earning more of God. It's the process of releasing more of Christ in your life. Simple, but isn't that very, that's, that's, that's practical and helpful, right? Like we're called to, to read our scriptures, to pray, to, to serve, that, that Christ might be releasing more and more of his Spirit into our life. Friends, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ yet, start at the beginning. Lord, have my heart. I want to follow you. And for many of the rest of you, like, oh, I, I did that. You know, I've kind of like gave God my heart, but now I'm like wondering what God does with these seasons of barrenness and fruitlessness. 
I'd like to encourage you to examine your life, to rend your heart, and then that your outside actions would match what God is doing and your inside actions. We've been doing, we did one, we'll do one in July. It's in your handout of some of the service opportunities that we're doing as a church called Big Tent Jesus Party. We did one in June where we gathered with New Hope North City, another church that has a heart for people on Aurora, and we had a, we had a worship service. We had volunteers from church. Some of you were there, made hot breakfast for people on the street. That wasn't thousands. Seattle Times didn't come. No, it was just a simple little thing. Dozens of people came. There was a resource table with books for people, Bibles. I want more resources to get out of addiction or loneliness. There was another table that had hats and socks and shoes and just real practical needs. And then over in the corner, there was a foot washing station. Friends, I haven't even wanted to tell you about this because I haven't known how to even communicate. I will confess to you, the foot washing at the Big Tent Jesus party was partly my idea. It may even been entirely my idea. I don't know. But I will also confess to you that that morning, I wanted nothing to do with the corner where the foot washing happened. I just didn't want to do it. I was running around making myself feel busy. I didn't feel, I, was anyone going to even do it? Yeah, now people got in lines, and one of the volunteers from New Hope, she was over there, and she was washing the feet and lotion and putting new socks and hearing their story. And I didn't want to do it. And if I did do it, I really didn't want to do this one person because I'd already interacted with him once around the breakfast table and he smelled. He smelled like urine and alcohol and I didn't, I didn't want to do it. If I could just be real, is that, is that okay? And I went over there just to make myself busy and I, said, I literally said to her, I'm like, you're good, right? Like, you don't, you like, you like, it's, we're, you know, and she's like, no, there's just one more to do. Could you help? Crap. Yeah, I just said that. I'm sorry. But uh, that's what I... And, and then he, she said, like, here he is, and it's him. And he walks up, and I'm like, I didn't want to do this. And he sits down, and I get on my knees, and <clears throat> a basin of warm water. And then he said, you're the pastor. I've been looking for you. Because I needed someone to pray with me. I, I, you know, he starts to tell me a story. I've been looking for you. And so I take the man's socks off. The, the scent, are, are, I can still smell the scent. It's, it's literally so uncomfortable. And as I'm washing the man's feet, I'm overwhelmed with just a fraction of God's love for this man who's been in decades-long addiction and recovery cycles. Messy journey. Who knows? Not easy. And I'm like doing this thing, and I'm crying because I pray with him, and I realize how much of my own heart God needs to change how much I didn't want to do this. And so I prayed with him, and I washed his feet, and did the lotion, and put the socks on, and all of this, God was just revealing his love for, for him, for me. And then I'm driving home, feeling like a pretty good guy, like, check, like, we did it, plus, like, isn't that amazing, like, God did this amazing story, and, you know, I'm like, I'll probably share that at church, and, you know, whatever, and then God's like, yeah, but how's home yeah you're on your knees with your kids or are you too busy working or on your phone you just washed a man's feet you didn't know how are you doing that in your marriage do the people that know you most respect you the best or are you busy out there trying to be a blessing and missing the chance to rend your heart and make change from the inside out Friends, I've, I've been working on that. I'm not there yet by a long shot. Something I've shared with young men that I've been privileged to walk with this year is this, is this 
encouragement from an author I follow, that we're called to be heroes in our own homes, that we're meant to be a blessing to most of the people that spend the most time with us. All of us can go over here and show up and do something neat, but for the people that know me most, is my heart being transformed and trying to show up. And I'm not there yet. I'm really not. But God's waking me up, encouraging me to do this work, to notice what feels fruitless, to not ignore it, and then to, to return. The repentance merely is trying to return and to get on my knees and say sorry for places I missed it and lean into the fullness that the scriptures promise. And that's, that's the third point of our outline, that God will redeem all things for his glory. God will redeem all things for his glory. And I need you to take a little journey with me through the promise of Joel. That these people are hungry. They're seeing locusts, armies invading. They're barren. They're like, God, what are you doing? You think of my story. I'm against that barbed wire fence in North Spokane. From pre-season American to bench warmer. From happily dating to single. Uh, in the midst of all these things. God, what are you doing? Look at, verse uh, look at verse 18 of chapter 2. Then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. I'm an English major. I'll tell you, that's a possessive pronoun. It's God's land, and we're his people. And the Lord replied to them, I am sending you grain and new wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object to scorn of the nations. I will drive to the northern horde far from you, pushing it to the parched and barren land. Do not, verse 21, do not be afraid, land of Judah. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Do not be afraid. Be glad. The threshing floors will be filled. I will repay you. Look at this. It's unbelievable. First, let me highlight verse 18. There's a promise of restoration that God will deem all things for his glory. The glory is for him. It's not for us. We don't get promised easy journeys or glorious journeys. We all want to have our names in lights and have you know, all these wonderful things. It's not about us. The scriptures will redeem all things for his glory. And God says he's jealous for us. He doesn't want to be second fiddle in our life. And so if we're in a season where we're putting God second and we're, we're out chasing other gods to provide the needs, God will be jealous for us. And so when we pay attention to the longing, God says he'll take pity on us. We're his people. And then look at verse 25, friends. I've never seen this before. This is one of the most incredible verses of the Old Testament. Verse 25 of Joel 2 says this. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. That's incredible. Like locusts are literally just this bug that was a swarm in the old world. And they would destroy crops. They were this real thing. But it gets metaphorical here. God says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. Like they've destroyed years of our lives. And some of you have years of your lives where you're regretting or wondering what God is up to because of the illness or the relationship or, or the change of career or the newfound singleness or, or being divorced or widowed or, you know, where, or in a marriage that feels less than fruitful. You're like, I don't know what's happening, but I feel like locusts have eaten my joy and my sustenance. And God says here, when we return to him, when we worship him, when we, when we repent and we say, God, I want you to be fully the Lord of my life. And whether you show up in one day, one month, one year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw the Jesus party. Even in the midst of what you haven't done here, yet the promise is, I will repay you, says God. That is astonishing. That nothing is wasted. It's not wasted. It's not wasted. Your life is not wasted. 
that, that old relationship, that thing with your parents, that job. This, I, I don't know what you're carrying this morning, but God wants you to hear really, really clearly that nothing is wasted and that he'll repay us in somehow for the scars that we bear. I don't know what that means. Does that mean we have deeper joy once we get through the hard time? Is this a promise of future fulfillment of intimacy with the Lord? Who knows? Question mark. But the scripture says God will make it up to us. And nothing is wasted. And that's how the book ends. In this third chapter, there's this promise of, of new water and new wine and new sustenance and new joy. Verse 17, then you'll know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion. In that day, verse 18, chapter 3 of Joel, that day the mountains will drip new wine, the hills will flow with milk, the ravens of Judah will run with water, and a fountain will flow out of the Lord's house. Do you hear it, friends? It's hope in barren times. And that all of the parts of your journey that might feel like, man, what are you even doing here, God? God's saying, trust me. I will be good to you. And I will bring times of fulfillment later or health or relationship, or friendship, or laughter. I don't know what you're walking with this morning, but God wants to speak to you. He will redeem the wasted years, and nothing is wasted as we follow Jesus. I, I, I needed that this week. I needed that encouragement. I needed that hope. I needed that promise. I took my son up to Canada to the place that's been a fishing lodge and a place of work. We've sold it. We're transitioning out of it. There's some regret there, friends. There's some, did I waste some time up here? Like I could have joined the church earlier. I could have done, the, there, there's that question. God, what were you doing? What was I doing? There's hurt relationships. There's question marks. And, and I realized that sometimes I was so busy working up there, I wasn't the dad that, he, that God had called me to be. And so my 11-year-old son said, you know, I just have this dream. He's been talking for six months. Can we just go, you and me? And we'll catch some fish. And I want to do that hike. I've never done the hike. It's a six-mile hike out to Beautiful Bay Trail out to Malcolm Point. Can we do the hike? I said, son, we'll do the hike. We drive all day. We get off the ferry. We head to the trailhead. We get there. There's a warning on the sign. Trail is washed out. I'm like, nah, we'll be fine. Because I have this goal. I'm trying to like redeem wasted years. A lot of times I just try to make it on my own. And we get out there halfway. And sure enough, guess what? The sign was right. The trail is gone. I mean, gone. My son's like, Dad, we should turn back. I'm like, no, we'll be fine. I'm like climbing over logs. I'm face to face with spruce and cedar. And I'm like, we are not going anywhere. And I become really discouraged. Because I'm out there trying to kind of make up some, some past sins. And I'm like, now the trail, that, you know, that, that narrative starts going in your head. You know, you, your life starts sounding like a really sad country song. The trailhead's ended. My son is going to be sad. I can't, you know. And I'm like, I'm there. And my son's like, hey, Dad, let's go down to the beach and take a look. And so we like bushwhack down this valley, kind of jumping and leaping. And we get down to the beach. And then we see it. From the beach, we could see what we needed to see, there's the point, Malcolm Point, the trail. Like I, I thought because the path was blocked that the path was over. My son's like, Dad, we can just, we'll just beach hike it. We'll just, we'll take a different route. Friends, I, I just want you to know it's one of the most significant hikes of my life on Thursday afternoon with my 11-year-old about life and about life being different than, than anticipated, but God's goodness and about faith, it was incredible. Where the path was blocked, 
God provided a new route to the point. Friends, I don't know what the words of Scripture are calling to you this morning. But God is asking you to take a look at your life and to, to make changes from the inside out and that your life would reflect the changes that you long to, to obey God and to return to Him and repent and stop chasing other things where there won't be fulfillment and make God the center of your journey. And the promise is that the blessing awaits. New water will flow. There'll be fruit on the vine. We don't know exactly when, but we trust God with the process. And in the process, trust him, friends. Nothing is wasted. He'll redeem it all. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for this little book tucked into the middle of our Bibles that has so much to teach us about the journey. And we pray for your people this morning, or some that are, are hungry, some that are worried about finances, some that are worried about relationships or health. Lord, there's, there's real barrenness. Lord, we also celebrate those that are in, in great places of fruitfulness. And we pray that in this season of fruitfulness, their hearts would continue to follow you and they would give you praise and glory for what you're doing. But may we all, men and women, young and old, in all places of this journey of fruitfulness, Lord God, would you rend us from the inside out would you allow our hearts to turn back towards you, that we would be people worshiping you right in the midst of what is an unfinished life, that our life would be the very glory that you want to proclaim. What a mystery it is that you take a bunch of ragtag ragamuffins and fill us with your glory and your hope, and you call us to be your witness. And so, Lord, would your spirit fall now in this room? Would your spirit be like water to thirsty mouths? for relationships that need more joy, for marriages that are not sure they're going to make it, for lonely people, for sick people, for addicted people. Lord God, would your spirit fall and fill us up that our, our thirst would be quenched, but only by you. And that you, God, would remind us that nothing is wasted in our pursuit of you. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you continue in worship with us, stand as we close in song.